Hey everybody, before we get into the podcast proper, I just want to let everyone know about a new project slash experiment that I am trying to do over the next couple of months. It's called the Card and Dice Poll, and I've posted about this on the website, but essentially I want to do a poll of game reviewers and game designers of the greatest games of all time. What I need, however, is people to sign up. I'm not just going to send this out willy-nilly to random designers. That seems kind of rude. I want people to opt in. And for that, I need people to share this. Uh, So I've been tweeting about this. If you go to thethoughtfulgamer.com, you can see right on the top menu of the screen where it says card and dice poll, and you can see the information there. And if you are a critic or you are a designer, that is where you can sign up. I'm going to be launching this on September 1st, and I need more signups before that can happen. So if this sounds like an interesting thing to you, check it out on the website, get all the details there, and tell your friends, tell uh, your favorite board game reviewers about it and maybe they can sign up and we can make this project a reality i think it will lead to lots of interesting discussion about uh, what the greatest games are and how you evaluate that kind of thing but again i need help so check it out and tell people about it i would greatly appreciate that Welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast, episode number 86. As always, my name is Mark. Here with me is Ben. Hello. And we're going to be doing a chill cast. We haven't done a chill cast in years. So many years. I looked it up. The second one, what we called Chill Cast 2, the chill casting, <laughs> uh, was like episode 20-something which is probably like four years ago. So uh, now we've got Chillcast 3, Revenge of the Chill. All right. Is what I've decided this episode will be named. And the Chillcast is just where we don't have a particular topic. We're just going to talk about some games that we've been playing. No unifying theme. This is just what we've been playing. And we actually have been playing a lot more games lately in person, which is super exciting. So many. So many games. I figured we start with perhaps the best of them, uh, My City, which Amber and I talked about a little bit when we were talking about Knizia games. I'm curious what you think of My City. I really like it. It's um, very fitting for the chill cast. It's a super chill game. So chill. Really laid back. It, it, it has that fun, it hits that fun point where you can put in as much thought to it as you want. It's not going to like break your brain thinking about it, but there's a lot of interesting like twists and turns um, to the strategy that you're going to have in each game. Yeah, I mean, I like the point that you can put as much thought as you want into it because it's really true. You, you could really half-heartedly play that game and be okay. Like, you're not going to win. Well, actually, some of the games where I've just decided to wing it i've actually done better like the last time we played i was just like okay i'm just gonna do this one thing every game and i think i won the majority of those rounds yeah you won so many and i was not trying hard to do like amber always always tries to get the um uh what is it the gold the gold nuggets nuggets. and i had always been trying until until last time i'd always been trying to get those and i just kind of gave up because i'm like wow Amber's always going to get there before me. I'm not willing to make the sacrifices that I need to to do this. So I'm just going to, you know, try to do the one the one new mechanic over and over again. And it yeah, really picked, paid off. You picked the right thing to do for sure. <laughs> it was uh, it was very effective. But I don't, I don't think that was you necessarily, like, not thinking. You were just choosing a strategy. I, you just I, chose the route. And it worked out very well. I, I think I spent a lot less time on each of my choices because I'm like, well, I want to go adjacent to somewhere. There's only like two or three realistic spots that I can do that. So yeah. I, I never had, maybe the better way to phrase it is that I had a lot less AP playing last time than I usually do playing the game. Sure. And it's certainly a game where if you wanted to, you could really dig yourself into some kind of AP hole. Yeah. In that game, I, I could see my city being an absolutely horrible experience with the right person playing it, or <laughs> rather the wrong person playing it, who takes it far too seriously. Because, I mean, you can 
predict a lot. Like, you know what cards have been played. You know what's coming up. Pretty early on, you could start planning out exactly where you want everything. And, of course, the randomizing feature is that you don't know in what order the cards come out. So then you have to account for different possibilities in the order that the cards come out. Which I do, like, the last quarter of each game. Like, when it's narrowed down that much. But you could you could start doing that kind of planning pretty early on. And that would take a long time, I think. So, yeah. If you're, if you're the kind of person who wants to sit down and just do a puzzle... I recommend playing it solo, <laughs> yeah, uh, because it could take a very long time. But yeah, my city's super fun. Uh, for those who haven't played it, it is a another polyomino game, but it's a legacy game. So you get every game is different. You get some kind of brand new mechanism or brand new incentive each game that doesn't change things a lot. It just kind of iterates on the design, which I think is kind of cool. I think that works. Uh, I very think nicely. most of the modules have led to really interesting decisions, too. I don't think there's been any that I'm like, oh, well, this doesn't matter at all. Um, yeah. I think every single one of them has added a fun wrinkle. None of them are game-breaking, but... Yeah, I mean, of the games released last year in 2020, and I don't think... I, I didn't do a list because I haven't played very many 2020 games. Uh, My City's easily the best one. I think by a pretty wide margin, it's it's very very fun. Next game on the list is Coldwater Crown, which oh, yeah. uh, we have uh, played a few times. Yeah, that's... as a sort of shortish game. It's a fishing game, but it's not really a fishing game. Like there's very little about it that is reminiscent of fishing. Uh, I don't. I I I don't know how much I agree with that. I think. The core mechanism of the game is so alien to the concept of fishing. <laughs> I don't know. You you have a bag of mystery, which feels very much like a fishing game. Uh, it's very appropriate. There's but, like, but it's not that you're the, the mystery bag just gives you a bored state. It doesn't. It's compl- using a completely opposite way as randomness is in f- actual fishing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think a real fishing inspired board game might just not be very good because there's so much randomness. Oh, um, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think a real fishing I, board I think game would work. It had it had enough. I think the first time we played it, I was like, "Oh, this actually feels like fishing." At the time, I don't think you disagreed with me. Maybe you've changed your mind. What? No, I completely <laughs> disagree. No, I Since never then, thought that. I thought, "Wow, this doesn't feel like fishing at all." I I I liked it. I liked it for for the fact that it felt like fishing to me maybe i was I don't just know what swayed kind of by the art you've done <laughs> also, but <laughs> fa- that is that is a fair point i have not been fishing in a very long time well me neither but here's how the game works you have these like four buckets and throughout the game you will replenish these buckets with randomly selected colored gems and then most of your actions are removing gems from the buckets by color either one gem per bucket of a given color or all the gems of that color and then once one of the buckets empties you catch a fish which i suppose okay i guess if you really think about it the buckets like represent time and you're like trying to be efficient with your time and then you have enough. You fish for enough time, and then finally you okay. catch one. If, if you break it down to that level, it do, it feels less like fishing to me. <laughs> no, I think I think that right now at that moment, as I just met, said that is the most the game has ever felt like fishing. I don't. There's nothing else because it's all about like action. If it's just, it's just a, an efficiency puzzle, and that has nothing to do with fishing. The whole thing with fishing is that. You need to be in a mind st- mind state where you will have a perfectly good day if you never catch any fish, or else fishing is miserable. Maybe that's why I never got into fishing. <laughs> it's about just being outside and being calm, and I don't know. That's fishing to me. I guess if you do like some high stakes deep water deep sea fishing, that's different, but. Yeah, I mean, it, and sure, you can you can do things, I think, more with fly fishing 
uh, where you have like a really deep understanding of the local bugs in the area and stuff that your flies are trying to emulate and then you like handcraft them or uh, alter them in some way to match those bugs and then you study like the uh, the the behavior patterns of those bugs to try to replicate them there's a lot more strategy I guess in that and yeah there's similar things with other types you know bass fishing or whatever but ultimately fishing is an output randomness game like you just throw it out there and you don't know what's going on under the water and you know some like general best practices to increase your odds but you're just waiting for the fish to bite and yeah, that would make a terrible board game, which is why I think this game is nothing <laughs> like fishing, because they wanted to make a decent board game. Fair. Anyways, it's a perfectly it's fine... It's a decent board game. <laughs> it's a perfectly fine little uh, puzzle efficiency game where you're trying to empty these buckets full of gems that are supposed to... I think the part that gets me is that they're supposed to represent bait, which makes it make less sense. Because, yeah. like, why are you... I guess... I guess you're like losing the bait out its in the in the lake or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't feel like fishing. The only part that feels like fishing is when you can you have to like throw back all but one of each species and then you weigh them, um, and the weights are all completely random. Yeah, that part is kind of like a fishing tournament, I guess. But anyways, I think it's to the game's credit that it doesn't try too hard. But then again, I don't know if you're if you're gonna do all the work of making like a thematic looking game at least and like making it seem like you put in some effort i would pick a thing that you can actually emulate the more i think about cold water crown the less i like it <laughs> <laughs> it's fine i've not unenjoyed playing it but yeah i i did like the aesthetic of the game the art's very it's very nice. smooth very yeah. clean Art is nice. Um, it's perfectly pleasant. I don't think it's ever going to be one of my favorite games. But if anyone was like, hey, do you want to play this? I, w- I, I think I would it have to be in a really foul mood to say no. It is precisely that kind of game. The kind of game where you never think about it, and then someone's like, you want to play that? And you're like, why not? Yeah. that That's the kind of yep. game Cold Water Crown is. For a more exciting game... Uh, let's talk about For Science. Ah, oh, so good. Also known as Science or Die when I played it a couple, two years ago, a year and a half ago at uh, one of the local conventions. The new game from Eric Royce, designer of Spirit Island, the greatest game ever made. Woo! And he's made a party game. He went from Spirit Island to, not uh, well, okay, not really a party yeah, game. It's... A much lighter cooperative game. Yeah. Where you try to stack blocks, oddly shaped blocks, in specific configurations in order to produce, what, vaccines is? Yeah. Is it vaccines? Vaccinations? I think it was vaccines. Which is much more thematic to uh, doing science <laughs> than Cold Rodder Crown's mechanism. Honestly, I think it works. It's, yeah. No, it, it requires, was requires, really like, concentration in a hectic environment and... You get to twist your mind in different ways to work with the blocks spatially. I, I think it, it works well. I, I will say, even though I don't have a lot of experience fishing, I have even less experience developing vaccines. So I don't know how true to actual vaccine development the game is. Sure. It's not specifically <laughs> related to vaccine development, but it's about using your mind nimbly in a time-pressured situation, which, for vaccine development, is pretty time-pressured. Like, excluding, like, when you're trying to develop something brand new in a pandemic, but, like, anytime you're developing a medication or treatment, the longer you take, more the more people die, right? There's some Fair. pressure yeah. there. So time pressure is kind of built in. It's just condensed in the game. And then it's about, like, thinking in creative ways in that environment and uh, doing sometimes difficult tasks. Now, of course, in actual science, it's more intellectual tasks rather than (laughs) stacking things. (laughs) Stacking wooden bits. But I think it works pretty well. I think it, it gets the right tone. 
Uh, it, was, it was very fun. It was so much fun. Yeah, I I really liked that the blocks were deliberately obtuse. Like a few of these blocks, they're not things that you could stack easily. It was like they had cur. There was like the little half the semicircle. Oh, the uh, semicircle one. one is awful. There was a one that was just a big cylinder, <laughs> and like. I think there was like a couple triangles and like there's like a wedge shape. Yeah, yeah. And like there's always at least one way that you can do flat on flat, but you know that throws off things in another way where everything's going to be a different height if you try to stack things so that you'll be able to do flat on flat. So it was a wonderful puzzle. I really enjoyed it. The individual powers were or the characters were a lot of fun too. I think that that's what really makes the game is yeah. It comes there were at least like. 30 to 50 individual player powers, I would say. There, yeah, there were there was a, a whole big lot. stack of cards there. I'd say probably around 30. Did did Mark have an expansion for that? I think the game comes bundled with an expansion. Okay. Or a mo- I guess it would be a module in that case. Sure. And yeah, it's got all kinds of stuff and different modules to make it harder or easier. The basic premise is that you're you're doing like three little mini games and it's kind of free form and it's real time on who does what. There's the mini game of like hand management where you're trying to create these blueprints for uh, the block stacking portion. And then the second mini game is actually once a blueprint has been locked in and verified as meeting certain criteria, uh, then you lock it in and then someone has to actually build that structure which also is thematic in the idea of building like a molecular structure or a cellular structure, I suppose. And uh, then someone has to actually stack the blocks and every step along the way, you got to verify. It has to be peer reviewed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It has to be verified by the other players. And then that gives you currency to buy the real mini game, which is like the ultimate way of how to win and actually get points, which is a two-dimensional kind of puzzle thing uh so you're doing both three-dimensional and two-dimensional puzzles and it can be crazy and hectic and a lot of those player powers oh and then you can have the uh i forget what the term for it was the 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 events uh which make you do all kinds of stuff yeah you really got to play with those once you get a good handle on the base game and yeah, all kinds of zany, crazy stuff. Like I played a character who couldn't speak because he was a, I was a <laughs> robot. You played with a character who couldn't see. You had to close your eyes while you were building things. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was probably my favorite one because it's you can still do some things by touch, but I never went more than like two or three cards high because there's just so much more risk of knocking something over. And when then I you played, played another game, a character that had to compliment everyone all the time for some reason to get a bonus. I, d- I wasn't quite sure what was happening. I just knew every time we, I we did got, something, you shouted good job, compliments Mark. at yeah. me. Yeah. It was a, um, we had, if I complimented you every time you, you, I think it was, I had to compliment you every time you placed a block or touched a block or something. And if I did that successfully, once you completed it, we got an extra book. Uh, to get one of the big oh sure things. yeah yeah so it's got that tone where like very silly in the best it's possible it's silly way. it's that comedy thing of everything everything kind of makes sense but in the dumbest possible way uh, that's that's like the extremes of where this game can go I think it's very very fun I don't think it's as good as the best real time games necessarily I would have to play it more yeah I think it's probably a tier below. Like Space Alert and perhaps Captain Sonar, but I think it's on par with like Stay Cool. I think it's got that kind of vibe to it. I don't think I didn't like it as much as Space Alert, but I will say it seems like it's, the setup is a lot easier. That's my biggest problem with Space Alert is it just takes so long to set up, and if it you're does. only gonna play a couple games, it's just not worth it. I think I liked this as much, if not more, than Captain Sonar. I think it's just a lot less stressful i i did not feel stressed at all playing this one it was more easy i also going. feel like we never reached the difficulty we, level yeah, we should have been that at. is also true. we played we what, were never three really or four challenged. games and we kept upping the difficulty 
but never quite got to a point where it was super challenging. Yeah. I could totally see that for science becoming very stressful once you hit that like difficulty yeah. sweet spot yeah, where you're that, actually yeah. pressed for time. Maybe we were just playing on easy mode. Well, I mean, we we started on easy mode. We went up to like medium mode, but we're too good. We're too good at the, real-time games. The easy mode, I think, is a lot more forgiving than like the space alert easy mode, which... Space alert's <laughs> very hard. <laughs> I, I don't know. Space alert, I think, is always going to be the king in my eyes. Yeah, Unless something really good comes along. Something amazing would have to come to beat out Space Alert. We should Alert play in Space Alert more. I, I haven't played Space Alert in probably two years. We got to get up to four people. Yeah. That's the problem. I don't like playing with three people. Yeah. No, it's bad with three. Yeah. With four, with four, it's good. With four, it's perfect. Maybe after we finish My City, we can. <laughs> yeah. We can do some <laughs> We space can alert. do that. Anyways, for science, very fun. And honestly, for all, for how big that box is and how many like giant wood blocks in there. The price isn't that bad. It's very reasonable. It's like yeah. it was like under fifty bucks when I looked it up. Which I guess wooden blocks are cheap. I thought lumber was very expensive. <laughs> Maybe they I guess they sourced it before the lumber increase. I don't know. I don't I, I've given up trying to figure out how prices work uh in, in board gaming because sometimes games are much more or much less expensive than I think they'd be. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to another cooperative game, Legends of Andor, hmm. which is from quite a while ago, it's it had I been sitting on your shelf for at least. I mean, I got it used years. a couple years ago, but I think the game is nearly ten years old, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's nine years old from twenty twelve. Wow! And I knew there was something unique about it because I'd I'd heard about it, and I always remembered there was some like weird take on it where some people hated it. But it got a lot of recognition. I know it was at least nominated for the spiel. And I assumed what I was always remembering was the tutorial system. Because it is the oldest game I know of that has like a straight up tutorial to show you the rules. And there are a lot of components dedicated just to the tutorial, which is wild. Like there's a whole, that whole silver event deck, I believe is only for that first mission. Yeah. Along with a number of other cards and components are just for the tutorial. And in terms of tutorials, it was all right. It took, a, I think, a little too long given it's not that complicated yeah. of a game. But for someone to, like a non-board gamer, I think it would teach them the game quite well. And it's a cooperative fantasy game, but it's... At least we've played through, what, the first two missions of five? Yeah. First one's basically a tutorial. The second one had a lot more and kind of introduced the rest of the concepts, I think. And it's it's a fantasy cooperative game, but it doesn't feel like a dungeon crawler like Gloomhaven or Descent or any of those kind of games. It felt much more like a pandemic. Hmm. Uh, that style of game to me in terms of needing to be extremely efficient with yeah. your actions and movements. Yeah, no, like you got to calculate out everything in this game to be super successful. And it's it's one of those games where you get to the point where you're like, okay, we've really got to count how many movements we have and chart a path and then predict like go through what the ai system is going to do for the enemies and so it felt like much more a in the pandemic lineage of cooperative games rather than the dungeon crawler lineage even though it looks like a dungeon crawler and has a lot of those trappings uh which i think is took me a second to get used to but i'm curious to keep playing through these missions i think it's interesting I would also be interested in playing it at a higher player count because I think we just did the two of us, and I would like to play it with three. It felt like we just didn't have enough, especially in, I guess it doesn't really matter because it was the tutorial, but it felt like we just couldn't do everything we were supposed to, Um, and maybe that's just part of the game. Well, we beat it. No, No, we didn't. Oh, no, we lost the tutorial, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a way to do it. But yeah, playing with more players would be interesting. I, I'm I'm curious to see if that opens up the game more or if it scales up really well and is just really 
you know, efficiency driven at any player count or if Oh, I think it I think it I think it absolutely is. I think that's yeah. the whole point of the game is that it's it's applying the pandemic style cooperative game principles to this genre, which is why I assume a lot of people didn't like it because you gotta you gotta change your expectations. Uh, it's like the scythe thing, where like you go in expecting this to be a fighting game, and then it's not at all. Yeah, yeah. And then I I I was digging in the forums afterwards to see what people really hated about it, and the core mechanism that people hated was the one where every enemy you kill speeds up the end mm. timer of the game yeah and people are like oh this do- makes no sense at all but to me that makes perfect sense because your mission isn't to kill all the enemies it's to accomplish these tasks in the middle of an assault and then stopping to kill enemies yeah would if Take you, time. if the talk if the clock's ticking to accomplish these things and like retrieve the like the second mission where you're like retrieving a, a healing potion for the king or something. Yeah. No, obviously, if you stopped and did combat, then that would waste time. I don't know. It made perfect sense to me, but that's what everyone was complaining about in the forums. I mean, it makes sense. I, I see both sides because it is like you look at the box and you're like, all right, a fun, you know, dungeon crawler, you know, kill. I want to kill things. I want to power up my character so I can be really good at killing things. And then you get into the situation where killing things is not always the right choice and even frequently a a bad choice i definitely feel like i need to play it more before i finalize my opinion on it Mm -hmm. Um, i think you were saying earlier that it was the next mission that we're supposed to do is one of the really good ones yeah that's what everyone on the all all the debates went out the the same exact way on the bgg forums where people complain about the same mechanisms and then everyone was like, oh, you got to change your expectations. And also it gets really good at Mission 3. So I thought Mission 2 was fun. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited. There was a lot of components left we hadn't interacted with in any way. So I'm yeah. excited to see how it opens up. But, yeah, you just have to change your expectations. And you could argue that, yeah, that's a fault of the game, that it didn't provide an aesthetic that matched its gameplay. But I don't Sometimes you just got to adjust. You got to figure out what the game is and then adjust what you how you're perceiving it based on that. I I think if you deliberately sit there after playing a couple of games of Andor and are like, "Where's my dungeon crawler? Uh, why aren't I playing Descent?" then you're just being kind of uh, willfully obtuse at that yeah. point. You got to you got to adjust. Uh, so yeah, it's a criticism, but I don't think it's one that that holds on long. Although I believe, so this designer, I was looking at what this designer has done, and there's a game that was nominated, I believe, for the Kenner Spiel this year uh, called Adventures of Robin Hood or something like that by, by the same designer, and I think it's exactly the same system hmm. or very similar to the same system just with a Robin Hood setting, and I wonder uh, if any other major core things have been changed as a response to how Andor did. I don't know. Uh, but I think uh, it's an interesting game. I like it. It, it was a fun puzzle. It was, it was a Leacock-style cooperative game, whether you like it or not. <laughs> the next game we played is trying very hard to do something, and you know what it's trying to do, and then it kind of just fails at it. That is Downfall. Mm. And I'm realizing we have two TMG <laughs> games in a row uh, right after TMG just announced that they're going bankrupt. So uh, the joke going around was that Downfall <laughs> was their downfall. Downfall is like four years old. So also what I'm reading is that TMG, uh, this was a long time coming, which is weird because they have a, they had a number of hits. Like they produced Orleon, which is super popular. And I don't know, like if you could make that game and then still lose money you you there's something else happening because unless its popularity did not play out like it's just popular by reputation and not by sales i don't know anyways i'm not going to speculate on tmg but downfall i think it could work in a second edition if they made a large number of major changes like i really want downfall to work as a game because it's trying to be this really cool almost 4xe 
game that plays relatively quickly. So like two, two and a half hours is what it wants to be. And it does that by making the actions be a drafting game where you're essentially playing out all of your actions or almost all of your actions simultaneously with the other players. And then it kind of pushes you quickly toward uh, a climactic uh, battle in the middle and in that kind of thing. But man, it's just so clunky in every single part along the way. Like the the graphic design is so muddy and cluttered. It's so cluttered and ugly to look at on the board. There's so many bits and pieces and you have these like cardboard airships that take up too much space and all the resources don't look right. Uh, There's nothing clean about the graphic design at all, which I guess fits the post-apocalyptic setting. But at some point you got to like give something to the players in terms of ease of use. And it's not easy to use at all. And then like, I love that it's a drafting game, but it still takes a little while And then it does some things like in terms of its resource system, trying to get resources and harvest them. It's kind of like Scythe, but it just is clunkier and has like additional steps and complications. And it doesn't have the cool minis that slow things down. And Scythe, honestly, I think Scythe just also has bigger hexagons, even if it's just a little bit. And that makes a huge difference of not having everything be so crowded on the board. I don't know. It, it's like a bunch of really cool pieces in theory executed poorly. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that we were all saying is that there's definitely potential there, but it completely fails in its potential. It just it takes so long. It's There's no part about it that's clean, and it's it's just a very meh experience but it feels like it should be more. Yeah, and I think it's because I think it just needs to be made simpler. I think the resource, I think yeah. the core the core problem with it is that if you want to gather resources efficiently to be able to pay for things and do well in the game, you have to do far too much like mental labor just to like pick up to two units yeah. of oil the the actions the actions were so you know it's very incremental there, there's not like it doesn't feel like any action you're taking is like a huge step it's and i i, I think you need either fewer actions or more powerful actions or something i don't know i think you clean up the resource thing by getting rid of the whole harvesting system right so there's like resources on the tile but you have to actually interact. You have to do a whole yeah. intermediary step before the resources become spendable instead of just if the resources are there and your units and you have control of that space, you have control of those resources. Yeah. It's not that. It's that you have control of these like potential resources and then you have to do a whole other action to then harvest those resources and then four times throughout the game everything that's been harvested that's not like stored in a, in a container disappears so you have to keep that into account there's a whole feeding your workers thing which is good in theory but just slows down all your calculations it's just all of that system like getting to the point where you have where you buy stuff takes so much of the game that it sucks all the joy out of buying and acquiring things which thematically makes sense because it's post-apocalyptic and it's supposed to be dour and difficult and scarce uh, but there are other games have done that in more entertaining ways. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it goes wrong, except I think it just goes wrong in many small ways that add up to yeah. majorly failing. Yeah. And it took me a long time. Like I played it three or four times in each time until this last one. I'm like, Man, maybe I'm missing it. I think this game might actually be good and I'm not quite grasping it yet. This last time, I didn't like, ah, I give up. It, it's just too clunky. Even though, in theory, once you have four players who know what they're doing, you could get through a game in like two, two and a half hours, which is pretty good for a kind of 4 x game. I don't know. I, I, think, I think it needs a second edition. Maybe now that TMG's gone, uh, the designer can shop it around and develop it. 
a second edition with a different publisher if he wants to uh, if he likes the system and wants to try to maintain it i don't know i don't know what his thoughts are on it uh, but let's move on to another TMG game that we actually like, even though it also looks hideously ugly, <laughs> and that's Exodus Fleet. And I, I posted recently a review of this, so you can go to thethoughtfulgamer.com and read that. But in short, uh, despite looking hideous and having some of the worst font and typeface <laughs> I've ever seen in a game, that makes it impossible to actually read things on the table. You have to pick up everything to read it. The game is actually quite lovely and enjoyable. It's a yeah. little uh, tableau builder uh, with Puerto Rico-style role selection, except it adds an auction. So someone picks a role, and then you all bid on who gets to do that thing and who gets left out, which works surprisingly well, even though it's like adding another step on a system that we know. It's I like the auction. It's an interesting auction. It provides a lot of interesting choices and bidding decisions where you're trying to decide you know a do you even want to do this thing b like if you don't want to do it do you still want to bid so that other people don't get a really cheap action it has the push the push your luck thing where like if you go too high you might get stuck with it and looking around to see what resources other people have it's a it's a really nice really it felt really fast too to me yeah it works out pretty quickly it's also one of those auctions which i love where Many times you want to come in second. Yeah. Right? You don't want to be just because coming in second is usually way it's cheaper. Nearly as good as being in first, but cheaper, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I liked it quite a bit. And otherwise it's it's very similar to that Puerto Rico uh race for the galaxy, roll for the galaxy lineage, where you're building up a tableau, you can focus really hard on the tableau, or you can then focus on this kind of secondary scoring system instead of a production and selling system. However, it's just like spending a good amount of resources to buy tribes of people who are it's based based on the name. You can guess like you're trying to flee Earth yeah. on a spaceship fleet. But man, that art is bad. <laughs> <laughs> For the longest time, I thought this was a miniatures game. I got it years ago. This is like my longest unplayed game, I think at the time we played it a couple months ago. And based on the art cover, the the, the, bo the box cover, I thought it was going to be full of plastic ships because it looks like there's an illustration of a plastic ship. And that's all just all the ship illustrations are. <laughs> and that's just what they are. There are no miniatures in the game. I don't understand that decision. <laughs> like what kind of development process happens where that's the look you go for it was i mean it, the aesthetic was consistent at least like i don't think it was necessarily bad it, it kind of reminded me it's i think one of the ugliest box covers i've ever seen <laughs> the this the ships reminded me a little bit of uh the art in what's that two-player card game that has the spaceships Star Realms. Star Realms. Wait, the right. Star Realms look like that? I, I think some of them did. I don't think all of them did. There's a bunch of different factions. But I remember it not being, like, super impressed by the art. No, Star Realms looks like Star Wars. Okay, maybe uh, I'm looking at random pictures. Yeah. A little bit. Those are much more polished than what I remember. These look much more metallic. Yeah. Which is what you would expect spaceships to look like. Exodus Fleet looks like Play-Doh. <laughs> like the ships there look they're, like Yeah, they're toys. very they're very soft lines, no hard edges, no corners. They um, look like toys. Yeah. It's very strange. And now yeah, everything could be a plushie. has Exodus from <laughs> the world. That was that was that a was, terrible joke. That was, that was I'm forced. sorry. That was forced. Uh TMG has produced many great games. Uh, they just apparently didn't. Now I feel bad for making fun of them. Maybe I shouldn't feel bad. Uh, it seems like they made a lot of bad business decisions. But I got a lot of TMG games here, and a lot of them are quite good. So hopefully games like that find other publishers, and uh, there's this kind of like mid-weight Euro hole left where TMG used to publish a whole bunch of games in that sector. So hopefully uh, other publishers can publish the games that TMG would have. Yeah. 
because there are a lot of good ones there. Uh, but Exus Fleet, solid game. Uh, go ahead and read the review I wrote out. Let's jump to San Juan because this is the beginning of that lineage or towards the beginning because you get uh, Puerto Rico. San Juan is kind of like designed as Puerto Rico, the card game. And then you get Race for the Galaxy, which is like the sequel to San Juan. Uh, and then that explodes in popularity. And then you get uh, Roll for the Galaxy and then like the two other sequels they've made since then. Uh, and a number of other games that have riffed on that structure, including, again, going back to TMG, including, what's that other TMG game? Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. The Deck Builder one. Eminent Domain. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. So you get games like that. And San Juan was kind of the beginning, and you can tell. <laughs> it wasn't. It was, it was yeah, fine, it was, it was but it's decent. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, other games other games took this and made it better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I bought it on the cheap. A lot of these I bought used at conventions and such. And San Juan was I'm like, well, this is kind of important. You can trace the lineage, which is not something so easy to do with other games necessarily. Uh, or other game subgenres, I suppose. Uh, BS San Juan was was perfectly fine and pleasant, but you get the impression that you you play it once and like you've seen everything. Hmm. That was my impression. It's like okay, I don't I don't think I'm ever going to be surprised by this game anymore. And in terms of simpler, because it is of the games we listed, the simplest. There's one later on, The City, which is simpler even than San oh, yeah. Juan, that I think just does what San Juan was trying to do, just a little cleaner. It cleans up a few things. It gets rid of the production shipping cycle and just makes it about uh, basic synergies within your tableau. And I think that makes uh, makes it a bit cleaner and, and quicker to play. San Juan was probably, what, 30 minutes? In the city, you can get a game. Yeah, 10 minutes. Maybe. 10 minutes or less if, if people really know what they're doing. So I thought it was enjoyable, um, but... Yeah, yeah not a bad part game. Of, part, of a, sure. uh, part of a line yeah. of games, and I think it was interesting in, in, in that sense. Let's go now to Antique Duelum. Another game I picked up on the cheap used uh, <laughs> because I had heard good things about it, and it is from Mac. Is it just Gertz? I don't know if it's Gertz or if it's pronounced something else. I assume it's Germanic. Yeah, he's German. And I've enjoyed every other of his games that I've played, specifically Concordia, which is brilliant, one of the great modern board games. I played Imperial once and enjoyed that. I played Transatlantic, which is kind of a sequel to Concordia. Enjoyed it a little bit less, but still very good. Uh, so I picked this one up, and uh, I think it's quite interesting. I think it's it's fun. It's a little dry. It's a Rondell game, which I think Rondells are, are very fun mechanism. It's got a Mediterranean Roman, was a Rome versus Carthage. Yep. Uh, system with a little bit of combat and a little bit of economy and, and just kind of fits in that classic Roman game space, uh, but maybe a little bit more Euro than, than some others. Uh, but I thought it was enjoyable. I, I'm down to, to continue playing it uh, and seeing if there's anything more more interesting there. I feel like you'd hit, however, like you could fairly easily find a series of starting moves to like make the first 25 percent of the game like almost on autopilot yeah right because you got to get a certain point into the game before you actually encounter your opponent and you want to have a certain amount of stuff built up in i imagine it wouldn't be too difficult to figure out like the most efficient way to do that beginning game and then just do that every time. I don't know how much variation there is, in other words, or counterplay. Yeah, I I think there are definitely different ways you could open. I don't know. I overall, I I definitely thought it was fine. It didn't really do it for me, honestly. I, I I'm not opposed to tr playing the game again. I don't I don't think it was bad. None of the things that I was doing 
felt like they were the best version of those things. There's better there's better resource management games, there's better engine building games, there's better the the combat element was pretty specific, I guess. It's it's deterministic, yeah. right? It's 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 in the how euros typically do combat. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see that and then honestly you can you can play that game and be like, "Well, why aren't I playing Concordia instead?" Yeah. Although I do really like rondelles. I think they're just a fun mechanism. And I think the rondelle was done well there. I, I had a lot of interesting decision-making situations where I was trying to figure out specific paths to hop around the rondelle. And then I could try to predict what you were going to do. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part which, of the game. Which is just a lot of fun. So it's one I'm going to have to play more to figure out if it just gets better and more interesting the more you know about it or if it becomes kind of the same game, especially in the beginning, uh, the more you know about it. And a lot of games are like that. It's like, okay, I'm not quite sure if knowledge is actually going to make the game better or worse. Uh, In some games, you just got to keep playing to figure out which one is the case. Let's jump to two games now that we played uh, that I think were pleasant surprises. Uh, (laughs) They've been sitting on my to-review shelf for a little while, and I assumed based on reputation that I was hearing rumors and mumblings of like, wow, this game is really horrible from people who usually don't say that kind of thing. And then another one that I just forgot about and uh, didn't play. Anyways, uh, let's talk about the Alpha. So that's the one that I kept hearing was like abysmal. Like I was expecting legendarily bad. Uh, And this is one of the two games I got from the Bicycle Playing Card Company because they started a board game division. The other one I already reviewed called Exchange, and I thought it was very mediocre. The Alpha, I, I enjoyed more. Yeah. In exchange. And it seems like I'm the only person for which this is the case. And I don't know why. <laughs> uh, the Alpha is this like area control bidding game with a bit of uh, randomness built in. So you're you're bidding on things, but you're not quite sure how it's going to shake out. So it's yeah, there's a lot of luck involved, but the bidding and, and stuff is quite interesting. Uh, so the, the idea is that you're wolves and you have all these different types of prey uh, that you're bidding on each round and you roll a die then for each type of prey that has been bid on, which is pretty much going to be all of them. And certain die faces will give food points to whoever has the most wolves in that area. Certain ones will... Uh, what did the carrion ones do? It would like gave split the food between everyone but the first player or something. So the carrion was I don't think anyone got food that round, but then the next round everyone could go to the carrion and oh, it was and then automatic. It was divided equally. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't have to roll to see if you would be able to take down the you know, the animal. Yeah. Uh, but you could still fight over you know, the wolves can still fight over the carcass. And I think the coolest part is that if you tie for the area control in a space and it doesn't roll on one of the, like, oh, no, food shows up or the carrion space. You you had a little prisoner's dilemma game yeah. with your opponent, which honestly is the best part of the game. And it was it was done quite well because especially if you get in a situation where, like, if two people tie for first and then I can't remember if they both fight, if they're both aggressive, then all the food goes to the third place yeah. person. Uh, it's and kinda, the wolves get injured too. And you both get injured. Yeah, there's a little nuance. Which never like actually that. happened in our game. We never. There was there the were, threat of it a lot. Plenty of people were fighting, but we never had two people simultaneously choose to fight. Yeah. And uh, my favorite spot was the going to the farm to get some sheep. Because <laughs> you had. You had a one in six chance of getting lots of food more than more than any other space. Yeah. And a uh, one out of three chance of dying. <laughs> no, it was, I think it was a two out of three chance of death. Hmm? Was it? I think so. It was either two out of three or 50-50. Cause I think it was two out of three. It was, it, yeah, it was, yeah. You either get 15 food, you get three food, or a wolf dies. 
I think those are. I don't think there was a nothing happens option. Uh, no, it was fifty fifty. I thought. I thought there was. Is there a nothing happens? I there option? was a large amount of food, a small amount of food, three death sides, and then a nothing happens side. Okay, that could be. Anyways, I never did high it. High chance of of dying, which lowers your bidding power in all future rounds. Uh, but the payout is a lot of food. Very and substantial. I won the game <laughs> by killing three of my wolves, but getting that <laughs> delicious farm sheep once uh so yeah it's not gonna light the world on fire but it's a fun little end of the game family game yeah Pr- prisoner's yeah, dilemma or end of the night game or family game yeah the, I, I really like the prisoner's dilemma mechanic it, it leads to some really interesting choices and guessing and second guessing and third guessing <laughs> yeah and i'm not uh, an expert in wolf behavior but <laughs> <laughs> Seems somewhat thematic, more than than Coldwater Crown. Speaking of thematic, let's talk about tasty humans. <laughs> yes, that what was a, a joke. zany game! What a weird game! <laughs> I love it. It's a very independent game. Just someone made a game, and I assume made a publishing company with it. It was on Kickstarter, I think. But it's called Tasty Humans, and it's a kind of a Tetrisy game, or along that style. Uh, the idea is that you're a monster eating people, uh, like adventurers and wizards and stuff like that. But it's really this like pattern arrangement game where each human you eat has a certain number of like limbs. <laughs> There's like limbs <laughs> they, and got, torsos. They've got equipment on them. I think, oh, I mostly. guess. Okay, I guess it's not that gory. There, there like, is a hand, I think. But yeah, yeah, it was a hand. There was like a helmet. A, breastplate and boots i think were the four basics yeah sure you the rest can be left up to your imagination none of that matters it's about creating very specific patterns in your grid your stomach grid yeah and then i think the most interesting part of what makes it really is that you get additional ways to score so everyone's way of scoring is completely different by the end of the game and then based on this like secondary function of like choosing which humans to take, which give you different arrangements, like physical arrangements of all these, we'll say, equipment pieces, you get to then draft new scoring tiles, which also go into your, your grid. And so then you can get, like I had this situation, I was trying to get, I had two scoring tiles based on one piece, I think it was the breastplate. So I was trying to get all my other scoring tiles near these pieces, but then also have my scoring tiles be in the same column and uh, row as other scoring as one other specific scoring tile. And then I got another one at the end where I wanted like hands or gloves along certain like arrow vectors a long ways away from a particular scoring tile. I had that one too. So, it's very much this kind of multiplayer solitaire game, which is fine. Uh, and this really cool kind of dynamic puzzle. I, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, it's not the prettiest looking game, but it works fine. And I thought it was an enjoyable puzzle, especially since it was always changing. And then like you get to see which scoring tiles are up for the draft so you can pseudo plan ahead, but you don't necessarily know exactly which one you're going to be drafting. And then there's like this whole round delay between when you draft a scoring tile and then when you get to place that scoring tile. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I don't think it's going to be like a new favorite game or anything, but it, it was it's a nice light ish game with some interesting ideas. Interesting. The, the snake draft was interesting. Planning for, you know, if you're first or last, planning for going twice in a row was was good. I, I think I probably want to play it again just to get a better... Uh, we, we only played it... I think we only played it once. Yeah, just the once. Um, and I I, th- I feel like I need another play because I, I, I made a couple of judgment errors or mistakes in misunderstanding how things worked. So by the end of the game, I scored and realized that that wasn't how you were supposed to score the things that you were scoring, yeah, which that's... kind of... Threw it off for me a bit. Yeah, but. that's a that's a quibble. You gotta how the scoring tiles work isn't super evident by what they look like because they have yeah. to be on these little tiny tiles, but they're trying to communicate a good amount of information. So you gotta be constantly referencing the yeah. 
reference cards. Good player aids are so important. Yeah, if it just came so with a player seen. aid, that would make it so much better. Just a sheet showing you all the different scoring tiles instead of like one copy of all the different scoring tiles on cards instead of like a sheet. Yeah, little stuff like that would would certainly make it better. And honestly, probably a really, not really good because you lose some, but probably a decent solo game. Yeah, I could see this working as a solo game, honestly. Yeah, and chasing down high scores, I think it would work out nicely. Uh, you don't get the interaction in terms of the drafting drafting of your scoring tiles, but... Yeah, that's a pretty minor part of the game anyway. It's... I, I like it, but yeah, I don't think it's necessary. I think I think it would be enjoyable as a as a solo game. All right, we got two more, two more left on the Chillcast. Both of these are fairly heavy Euro games. Let's start with Glass Road, of which Capstone I think just announced a new version of. This is an Uwe Rosenberg game, and not was what I was expecting from Uwe. It's kind of shortish. I was expecting something much bigger. It's still about like getting resources and calculating and trying to manage things efficiently, but relatively quick. Yeah, it was a nice little, um, I don't even know what the word is for it. It's not a puzzle game. It's like a... It's a resource conversion game. Right? You're, you're generating yeah. resources and then trying to spend them on buildings, which give you certain abilities. Uh, and there's a spatial aspect where you're building on a board, and there's this weird dial system to counting your resources. <laughs> I actually liked that. I don't think I've seen anything quite like that before. I don't know. I don't know what I think of it, because it almost seems like a gimmick for its own sake. And how it works is, like, you have all these resources, and then once you get at least one of each of the resources in a certain category, it automatically you spend one of each of those resources to make this other resource. And it just automatically happens. And there's a whole yeah. dial system it's to victory points at the end to make yeah. that happen. Even though like you don't need the dial, like you could just like, I can see how it makes it easier visually, but it's a lot of cardboard <laughs> to make a, resource system slightly more visually coherent i don't know it seems a bit gimmicky but i don't necessarily mind it but yeah the game plays it was only four rounds and uh each round you're playing between three and five different cards and getting actions from those cards and you're just buying buildings and trying to score points it, it was relatively brisk the, the what slowed it down is just trying to calculate what resources you need based on the cards you're choosing to have in your hand and then leaving open the possibility of only being able to play one of the two actions on any of your cards because it's got this system where if you play a card and someone else has that card in their hand, then both of you get that card, like half of that card's full potential. Which, again, seems a little <laughs> arbitrary. Like, you, you think about it, and it kind of breaks down, and you're like, wow, this is just a lot of kind of gimmicky things to play actions and get resources. But it also creates interaction, I suppose. Uh, I always like games that make you try to guess what other people are going to do. Um, yeah. And that's like, you know, a, a big part of that game is trying to figure out what cards your opponents, or opponent in our case, are going to play and making sure you don't play those cards so that you can capitalize on cards they play on their turn. But, you know, both sides are trying to do that, so it's kind of this uh, dog chasing its own tail type of thing. Yeah, it does create interaction. It just all seems a little heavy-handed in hindsight. But that said, it's... A game about like gathering wood and clay and stone and yeah, I still water, and then you build buildings, and the buildings synergize with each other. So all that is tried and true and fun, and it's it's got the nice Uwe Rosenberg aesthetic. He seems to have the same artist for almost all of his games, and it it was pleasant. Yeah, very. I would describe it as pleasant. Very clean too. Yeah. Final game. 
that we played that again I got used. I I got nearly all of these games used <laughs> last year at a very, at a particular convention. Uh, is Anachrony, a game I've been wanting to play a very long time ever since it came out and it's got really rave reviews. And boy, this one's a beast <laughs> yeah. in complexity and in its actual physical size. The box is massive. And it reminds me a lot of a Lacerda game. It's certainly along those lines what I would call a Baroque Euro, where it's a whole bunch of interlocking mechanisms. But I think what makes Anachrony really cool is that it's got a lot of thematic stuff going on. It's this kind of sci-fi thing where you are preparing for, like... Asteroid strike. Yeah, like an end-of-the-world kind of situation and building buildings and preparing and advancing science. Uh, but it's got cool, two really cool systems in it. One is this time travel system, mm-hmm. which is an essentially You're just taking almost, loans, almost like an elaborate loan system. But I think it works. I think it works thematically. Like I was invested in like the costs and risks of time traveling resources to myself from the future. So there's literally a timeline and each round of the game you can pull from the future one or two resources or two up to two resources of various types and then in the future once you progress in the game you can have a particular type of building that allows you to go back in time and then you can pay off those things so yeah it's a loan system but it's also got this thing where if you leave these like timeline anomalies lingering for too long you build up these tokens where you can create i don't remember what they were called but essentially this like negative it was an, an, an it, anomaly yeah well it was the the tokens were called paradoxes and then they if you had enough paradoxes it became an anomaly yeah, it becomes an anomaly yeah. which is like negative points and does bad stuff and you get to pay to get rid of that uh, so it all serves this kind of massive calculation game, like like a Lacerda games, but it, it made a lot of thematic sense. Uh, the other system that I think is really cool is the Asteroid Strike itself, which happens towards the end of the game at a predetermined point on the timeline. And at that point, every one of the major action spaces gets this like bonus. But once someone uses that space, it's done. That space can never be used again until the for the whole rest of the game. So it creates this kind of frantic scramble at the end to really cash in before you have to leave Earth and everything behind. And then once that happens, the game's over. So, yeah, a lot of really fun ideas in there. It's certainly big, it's complicated and long, but I think it'll be pretty easy to pick up again for the second game. Like, even if we don't revisit it for a couple months, I don't think it's going to be too hard to remember yeah, it's, what's going on. The iconography is quite good. Yeah. The systems make sense intuitively. Well, once you get into it, like once you get past the rules explanation, everything flows really well. And I was worried because it's it is as you oh, were explaining it, I was the like rules there's so much to keep track of. It is a beast. Yeah. I, I think already knowing the game, it would be easier now to explain it to someone because we've been through it and we know what the what it looks like when you're playing. But that that first, you know, bootstrapping up was was brutal. Yeah, and then even like not to go not to harp on downfall, our least favorite of these <laughs> games. But like this both of the games are about trying to manage resource income and expenditures over time. I think it was much much cleaner and easier to do those calculations and planning in Anachrony. Yeah. Even though Anachrony maybe easily twice as complicated in even like the resource system yeah yeah maybe yeah like it's a more complicated system but it's done in a cleaner way it was absolutely cleaner 100 percent. yeah and not even visually but also just in the systems like there's there's a very simple way of gaining basic resources but it's not necessarily the most efficient way but you do need to do it uh there's a there's a trade system that can be utilized very well if you start uh, monopolizing, or not not necessarily monopolizing, but if you specialize. Yeah, if you rather. get really good income in one thing, it can turn into really good income in other things. Yeah, there's a trading system. Yeah, and then 
just seeing the timeline on the table makes the time travel thing make really good sense. Like it, it just like, oh yeah, I borrowed the thing at this point in time and now I have to go back in time and pay it off. Uh, all of that makes sense. So yeah, Anachrony, a, a very, very strong first impression with me. Yeah. It's of the ones we've talked about. Well, it's definitely top three. I don't know. I really like for science, <laughs> but <laughs> it might be it might be top two. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really really good. Yeah, let's go very quickly, Ben. How would you rank these games? Oh boy, uh, obviously, for science is number one. Is number one yeah. okay? Anachrony is probably number two. I really like My City. We've been playing that for quite a while. Exodus Fleet and Glass Road are probably my next two. Coldwater Crown and the Alpha are kind of on the same level. Tasty Humans with San Juan and everything else, uh, I, I could take or leave. Although Downfall is definitely the at the bottom. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. I'm going to go with number one, My City. I think that's clearly number yeah, one. Yeah, I can't blame you for that. I'm going to say two will be Anachrony, three will be for Science. Okay, well, we got the same top three. Four, Exodus Fleet. Five, Andor. I'm going to say Andor. Hmm, okay. Six, I'll go with Tasty Humans. Seven, Glass Road. Eight, uh, eight will be the Alpha, I think. Then Antique. Then what do I got left? A San Juan and then Downfall. Oh, wait, no. I forgot about Coldwater Crown. It'll go, it'll grow between Antique and San Juan. Better than San Juan, but uh, certainly not my favorite. Anyways, that's what we've been playing. It's been a fun, it's been fun games. You know, a lot of games that we could take or leave, I think uh, getting back together, playing in person a lot more has been an absolute delight, no matter yeah. what the game. Even even playing Downfall, I had some <laughs> amount of fun because uh, I was playing with friends and that's always a good time and I haven't been able to do that a whole lot over it, the last year or so. It's also been really nice to do these on Sundays instead of on a you know a weeknight after work. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing Sunday game more days. More time, more energy to learn. I, I know, I think Lindsay has expressed this too, but on weeknights, you know, after you get out of work, you're kind of already fried. And yeah. on Sundays, you know, the, you've got the whole day ahead of you. It's the weekend, so hopefully nothing too stressful has been happening. And it's just a lot easier to to pick up new things without feeling overwhelmed on on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully you all listening have also been able to be to play some more games recently. What have you been playing recent that's new to you? Let me know in the comments. And I'm curious to see what people have been enjoying. Are you going with new games, learning new games? Are you playing your old standbys? Let us know below. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Ben, for hopping on this podcast to discuss these games. Of course. If you would like to support The Thoughtful Gamer, go to patreon.com slash thethoughtfulgamer. You can read reviews and commentary on board game stuff at thethoughtfulgamer.com. Please rate and review the podcast on wherever you get your podcast that helps us get more visibility in the metrics and all that stuff. And if you want to say hi or see what I'm up to on a more minute level, you can follow me on social media. I'm on both Twitter, Facebook, and also Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye.